You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. A few summers ago, I uh, planted a raised garden bed in our backyard, and if the only thing that I had gotten from that uh, garden is sermon illustrations, then I will have gotten enough. If you've, if you've listened to my sermons before, I've talked about uh, this, this garden bed before, and I'm, I'm not pretending to be any kind of expert gardener, and yet there is this close tie between plants, between gardens, and spiritual growth. One of the first lessons I learned is uh, we, we planted this you know, pretty small, maybe four by eight uh, garden bed in our backyard, and we got all these different kinds of uh, plants, and we put them in the ground, and then later on in the summer, when it began to yield yield the fruit, when it began to yield the vegetables, we discovered we don't actually eat all of these vegetables. <laughs> Have you ever had that before? And then now you're just trying to give stuff away and be a good neighbor. And there's this principle that what you plant is what you get. It's very important. What you plant is what you get. And so then the next summer I said, okay, well, we don't, you know, we don't really eat a lot of cucumbers or we don't really eat a lot of this or that. And we, we limited it a little bit. We added some more strawberries to the garden bed. And then now we've stopped planting vegetables altogether <laughs> and we no longer have a garden in our backyard. We only have a strawberry patch. And here's some strawberries from our strawberry patch. Anyone want one of these? Here we go. There you go. And, uh, and so we have this strawberry patch, and it's, it's good fruit, but there's something else in our strawberry patch, and that's this. Does anyone know what this is? This is mint, okay? And, uh, and, and what mint does is they don't tell you this, but it, it's proliferic. It, it, it just takes over. It, it, you know, we, and the worst part about it is we planted mint way back in the beginning because we heard, you know, like, hey, it's going to keep pests away. It's going to keep bugs away. And I'm like, yeah, and it's going to choke out literally everything else in your garden. And, uh, and I, I, I not only uh, brought these strawberries from our strawberry patch, but I also yanked this out of the garden this morning. And, like, I don't even know what you do with mint. Make a mojito? I'm not even sure. Uh, We don't cook with it. We don't really use it for anything. And it just, you know, we trim it back, we trim it back, and then it always comes back. And it's always back with a vengeance. And really, that's a metaphor for our spiritual formation, is it not? How often are we looking at the things that are growing in our lives, the behaviors, the attitudes, the words that come out of our mouths, and we're just trying to trim them up, aren't we? It's called behavior modification. We're just trying to do our best, you know, use our willpower, use our own internal strength and fortitude to just trim the leaves, trim the leaves, but there's something going on beneath the surface. You see that? The reality is spiritual formation must be more than surface deep. We've got to get down beneath the surface to the heart, to our thoughts. And that's really what we're talking about today, this this principle of our thoughts. I want to recommend two books to you if today is especially challenging or maybe helpful to you. The first one is John Mark Comer's book, Live No Lies. This is what he says. Sow a thought, 
Reap an action. Do you hear the language, the gardening language? Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow action, reap another action. Sow some actions, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny, either in slavery to the flesh or freedom in the spirit. Today we're talking about our thoughts. And if we're honest, we don't give a lot of thought to our thoughts. Does that seem a little bit meta for you for just a moment? It's like, when was the last time you thought about the things that you're thinking about? But the reality is, our thoughts are like those seeds. They don't just stay underneath the surface. They actually grow and grow and grow. Craig Rochelle, a second book recommendation, Winning the War in Your Mind, says it very succinctly. He says, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What we think shapes who we are. What we think, the things that are going through our heads, it might seem harmless, it might seem like it's just, oh, it's just, you know, I haven't acted on it yet. But the things that we are constantly thinking about are shaping the direction of our lives. Or, in, or what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12 to a third book recommendation, the Bible. <laughs> Romans 12 to Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your, everyone say it, mind. mind. So much of spiritual formation takes place beneath the surface first. And it's not that there's never a place to modify our behavior and say, I really need to stop doing that. But what if we actually went beneath the surface and we uprooted the bad fruit in our lives? We said, what if I stop thinking like that, believing like that? The truth is, if we're going to be like Christ, first we must think like Christ. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 today. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Philippians chapter 4. I want to read to you a couple verses before our main teaching text to set the context. Philippians 4 verse 2. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So, we're going we're gonna to look at a passage today that's very famous, very popular. Popular memory verse, popular verse for greeting cards, you know, on the bathroom mirrors or wherever. But this, is, this, this passage actually sets up the passage. It, it clues us in on the problem that the Apostle Paul is writing about it to the church in Philippi. And here's the problem. There's a divided church. Is that a problem? You bet it's a problem. Do we know anything about division in the church in, in America? Obviously, right? We, we, we deal with this. This is one of, our, one of our main problems that we deal in our day and age in American Christianity. And you have these two women who are great leaders in the church. They, Paul says they've co-labored with him in the gospel. Their names are in the book of life. But what's happening? They're fighting. They can't agree with one another. And so that's the problem. That's the surface level problem. That's the bad fruit that anyone can see. And that's really the problem with division in the church is anyone can see it. Even outsiders can see it. And you want to know what ruins our witness to the world? Was the gospel really help with reconciliation? Is, the God, is, is, is God really the God of peace? Because I don't know. I look at the church and I don't really see a lot of peace. Do you see that? And so it ruins our witness. It ruins our testimony to the world. So it's a, it's a, it is a major problem. And he addresses the problem. What does he say? Agree in the Lord. Stop fighting. 
And he tells both of them. He actually doesn't even, he doesn't pick a side. He doesn't say what, what, we don't even know what the issue is. We don't even know what they're fighting about. And Paul says, listen, I'm going to, this is a surface level problem. Here's the solution. Agree in the Lord. But he's going to go a layer deeper. Okay, you still with me there? Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. Everyone take a breath. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you want to know what creates a divided church? Unhealthy Christians. That's the personal level. So you have, you have the, the corporate level or the communal level, the, the surface level, is there's, there's division in the church. But what Paul does is he goes a layer deeper to the person, to the people. So behavior level, stop fighting. Isn't that what we do as parents, by the way? We all, we're only treating the behavior level. Stop fighting. Stop, like, like change your behavior. But the personal level is how are you doing? Do you see that? Okay, yeah, you're fighting, you're divided over here. And he's like, are you rejoicing in the Lord? How thankful are you right now? Is there anxiousness in your soul? How's your prayer life? Are you worshiping God? Do you see this? And so he, he goes a layer deeper, not just from the problem, not just from the evident bad fruit. He asks the people, how are you doing? And he tells them to pray. You need, y'all need to pray. Spend some time in prayer. And one of the things that prayer does is prayer opens the door for God's peace in our lives. Prayer opens the door for God's peace. It's, this is the peace that surpasses understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You can pray for that. You can ask God for that peace. So often the way that we experience peace is the peace of the world. You want to know what the peace of the world is dependent on? It's dependent on your situation. I can only be at peace if there is no problems in my life. Do you see that? that is, that's conditional on your situation. And unfortunately, I hate to be the one to break this to you, but Jesus Christ even promised us, in this world you will have troubles. So how can you simultaneously have peace and troubles at the same time? It's only available in Christ Jesus. Because the peace that's available to us in light of the gospel is a peace that is not dependent on the outcome. It's dependent on the God who provides the outcome. Amen? And so it's not putting your trust in, you know, I can only be at peace because really what we're doing is we're creating a limiting belief. And if, you, if you've bought into that limiting belief that the only way that you can have peace is if your problem is solved, well, you're never going to have peace until Christ Jesus comes back. That's the reality. Because in this world, in this present age, we will have trials. We're waiting on Christ to come back and to make all things new and for the old things to fully go away and for new things to be taking their place. But if our peace is dependent on the God that lives with us, that is present with us even in the midst of those problems, then we can have a peace that surpasses understanding. That means it's a peace that's difficult to understand. It doesn't make any sense but it's available to us in Christ Jesus. And what Paul is saying, he's saying, maybe, maybe there's a little unhealth in the community. People aren't, pers- there's no peace in the community because there's really no peace in the individuals. And what he does here is he says, this peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. Beneath the surface, 
Do you see that? So we're going to go, you ready to go one layer deeper? Dark thoughts lead to unhealthy Christians, which lead to a divided church. Paul's going to get into the idea of not just how are you doing, but he's going to say, what are you thinking? What are you dwelling on? What's going on internally, in your mind, in your heart? Because the enemy attacks us primarily through deception. Jesus said that the devil has been a a liar since the very beginning. He's the father of lies. And there's certainly external spiritual warfare that happens, but primarily it's internal. Think back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. The devil goes to Eve as a serpent. What's the primary weapon of a snake? The venom. This, is the, this summer was the first summer. I've heard rattlesnakes before. I, I, on a run this summer early in the morning, I set my foot about six inches from a coiled up rattlesnake. About this big, a, a pile of snake. <laughs> and I didn't register at the time until I was like, wait, I've never seen it. I've seen lots of snakes. Lots of little tiny, you know, one inch diameter snakes. This was a hefty snake. I didn't realize even the danger that I was in because a snake's primary weapon is its venom. So why doesn't the serpent just bite Eve in the Garden of Eden? He wants to kill humanity, right? He doesn't use venom, he uses deception. Did God really say? Not even an outright God didn't say. It's suggestive. Did God really say? that you'll eat of this and die? Is God really trustworthy? And that kind of deception from the devil is more deadly than any kind of physical venom that we experience because it destroys our souls. When we give root to the deception and the darkness and the doubt and the things that the enemy is trying to sow and the language that Paul uses here is warfare language. The peace of God will guard you from that. Will actually set up a garrison in your heart and in your mind to defend you against the attacks of the enemy. So here's a practice for us. Capture the thought before it captures you. When you encounter deception, lies, darkness, harmful ideologies, capture those thoughts before they capture you. And this is really why we need godly community. This this will reveal this to us. Because the reality is, maybe if you're very self-aware, you can sit down with a journal and you can be like, what are the lies I've been believing lately? And you can jot those things down. But if you've believed the lie already, how honest are you going to be in your quiet time when you're just, I mean, you can pray, you can ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, to show you those things, sure. But this this really demonstrates how helpful, godly, spirit-filled community is. To be, in a li- to be in a life group, to find a godly mentor, even to see a Christian counselor, someone that you can speak the things that have been buzzing around internally that maybe you've not spoken us to a soul, and someone can actually reflect back to you, this is what I'm hearing you say, and then actually you can actually hear it and think, that, I think that's a lie. I think I've been believing a lie, or that person is able to use discernment from the Holy Spirit and speak truth over you in your life. But here's something for you. If you're going to do that, you've got to find people that you can actually trust 
to the point where you can truly be honest with them. Does that make sense? Because community doesn't actually help us do that unless we're willing to be honest in those conversations. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds, to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought. Someone say every thought. Every thought captive to obey Christ. We've got to learn to identify and spot these these dark mindsets, these deceptive seeds that the enemy is trying to sow in our lives. See, the reality is this isn't positive thinking. This isn't mindfulness. This isn't just, you know, trying to get better and stronger in our minds. This is the victory available to you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's That's what Paul's saying. He's like, we've got a whole wealth of spiritual weapons available to us by the power of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells the church to take up the full armor of God. Not just one or two pieces of the armor of God, but take it all up. We need to, t- to, to, to access the weapons of our warfare available to us because of the gospel. And you want to know one of, the, one of my favorite pieces of the armor of God? It's the helmet of what? What is the helmet? The helmet of salvation. Where do you wear a helmet? Not a trick question. Where do you wear a helmet? On your head. I think this is significant, that the salvation available to us through the gospel is to be ever-present on our minds. Because some of the darkness, some of the deception, some of the lies that we often believe Their lies about our identity, their lies about our worth, their lies about our meaning, about our purpose, and they tear us apart on the inside. But the gospel tells a different story. The gospel tells the true story about who you are in Christ Jesus, clothed in his righteousness. No longer a slave to sin and death, but now you are a son or a daughter of the king. You've been raised up. You've been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. You've received the riches of his mercy, lavished his grace upon you. You are loved by God. Is that going to change the way that you live each life if you wake up remembering and dwelling on your salvation instead of dwelling on the lies of The enemy, you have victory in Christ. And if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to tell you, you can have victory in Christ today. Today can be the day that you say yes to Jesus, that you believe the gospel. I love how Paul describes salvation in 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6. We went through this passage this summer, but I love it. I thought it fit really well with what we're talking about today. Paul writes, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's Paul's phrase for the gospel. It could be accurately described as the knowledge of the truth. And here's the truth. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Today can be the day that you come to a knowledge of the truth. That you receive Christ Jesus for who he is. That you repent of the old way of life, living for yourself, living for the world. The word, even the word repentance is the Greek word metanaeo. And it's a combination of two different words, meta, which means after, and naeo, which means to think. 
Literally, the word repentance means to think again. Has, has anyone ever told you that? When you've said something and they're like, you need to think again. Maybe you ought, and we would use the word, you ought to reconsider. And what repentance is, is does repentance involve changing your behavior? Obviously, that's, that's typically what we think about. I'm doing this, I'm living this way, I'm living for sin, I'm, I'm, I'm falling into temptation, and I'm going to repent, I'm going to stop. I'm going to start living this way. But guess where actually, guess where repentance begins? I got to think again. And not just the surface level, it's I need to, in the depths of who I am, my framework for life, my worldview, maybe I've been living it all wrong. Maybe I've been believing the wrong way. So the, the reality is the gospel, responding to the gospel, faith in Jesus, is, it's more, obviously, than just believing theological truths. It's more than believing scripture. But it's not less, is it? And it actually, you might say it actually begins with the word of God being sown into our minds and our hearts like seeds so that they might grow into the knowledge of the truth that we would actually begin to repent and turn our lives to him. Would you repent today if you're not yet a follower of Jesus? Would you reconsider? Would you declare that Jesus today is your Lord and your Savior in prayer? And would you be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? I don't know if you saw last week, if, uh, or maybe you saw online, we had five baptisms last week. Can we celebrate that? And I just want to encourage you, if you've never been baptized, you can sign up online. We would love to celebrate with you as you take that step. So this renewal in our minds, really we've got to be, we've got to be vigilant about spotting deception and capturing those thoughts, but it doesn't end there. Look at how Paul continues in Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure... Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Somebody say, think. That's an imperative. That means it's a command. Can you choose what you think about? You can. And so often we act like victims in our, of our own minds. Think about it, is what he says. Choose to set your mind on things above, is what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, not on the things of this world. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I love this idea of practicing because it does take time. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to try to identify these, these thoughts, these destructive thought patterns, these limiting beliefs that we have. We're going to capture those thoughts. But here's what, we have to, here's what we have to begin to do to fix our minds on other things. We have to control what you consume. You have to, and this is going to get, this, was, this actually on Thursday, this hit a lot heavier than I thought it would on Thursday. I just want to prepare you to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. You can control what you consume. Because sometimes we say, well, where did that come from? Where did that thought, where did that temptation, where, like, it just, it just popped up, or just, you know, I said this thing, it just slipped out. Where did that come from? The reality is, it came from a seed that maybe you willingly allowed to be sown into your, your heart and your mind. Psalm 101, verses 2 through 3 says this, I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. So much of this happens in your day-to-day life, in your home. 
I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. What if we actually live this out? I mean, we set before our eyes so much garbage, so much junk, so much stuff. There's even devices you can purchase. So you remember when you were a kid and your parents were like, don't stand too close to the TV. And now you can buy straps that just like, and I'm not here to shame you if you have one of the things, the headset, but you could buy straps that like fix your, your screen to your eyeballs, right? This picture, I will not set before my eyes. Somebody downloaded the app. Somebody agreed to the terms and conditions that you probably didn't read. Somebody pays for the Netflix subscription. It's not, you, there's no like, the devil made me do it. Do you see this? We are willingly setting before our eyes things that are discipling us in the way of the world instead of into the way of Jesus. So let's just do a quick inventory of the content that we are consuming. Let's go through the list. And and I would encourage you this week to actually go through this list that Paul gives for things that we should be thinking about. The first one is true. Is it aligned with reality? That's what it means for something to be true. And I would just ask you the question, are you consuming content that causes you to doubt God, to question God, because the reality is I've heard countless deconstruction stories of faith, and there's certainly a place here and space here to to wrestle with doubts and ask questions, but almost all of these stories begin with some version of this. I've just started watching a really interesting YouTube channel. I've just, I'm just hooked on this new podcast with some really interesting ideas, or the friend group that I'm in, this, you know, we've solved it. We figured out religion. It's all a hoax. Or it's all, and you, you see what I'm saying? And people are surrounding themselves with voices that are sowing seeds of doubt. Now, we don't want to be anti-education or anti-information or anti-science. Don't, hear it. don't put words in my mouth, okay? What I am saying is it's a predictable result. If you allow the voices in your life, and you turn up the dial, and you turn up the volume for the voices in your life to be people who are skeptical of spirituality and skeptical of faith, and then all of a sudden, you give that seed enough time, and your garden bed is full of doubts. Is it true? Is it true? Second, is it honorable? This word honorable means it's morally dignified. It's upright. And I would just ask you the question, are you entertaining yourself with things that celebrate sin or that make a mockery of who God is? And I'm not here, again, I'm not here to say like you're sinning by watching something that's not veggie tales, okay? (laughs) That's not the goal. But are you you entering your, because what's happening is it's actually dulling your sensitivity to what righteousness really is. Just that, word just, that word just just means righteous. It means living the right way. Are you delighting in evil? Are you, are you celebrating evil? Are you laughing along with evil, the things that you're consuming? Pure, this means untainted by evil. And the question, you know, I think we, we often ask is like, well, there's not that much bad stuff. We kind of justify those things. And I would just ask you the opposite question. Is there anything virtuous about the content that you're consuming regularly? 
lovely. This is beautiful and good. Does, it, does, does what you're watching and listening to, does it get your mind in a good place? Or do you get done and you're like, well, I think like my brain needs a shower. Because <laughs> it just gets my head in a dark place. It just gets my heart in a dark place. Again, I'm not talking about like, you know, I'm not talking about just like Netflix versus VeggieTales or anything like that. I'm talking about like, when was the last time you had a really good conversation with someone? Maybe it's less consuming content altogether. Maybe it's more time in nature. Maybe it's more time in silence and solitude. Maybe it's more time being bored. I'm convinced that the least boring people are people who know how to be bored. It's going to be increasingly true of our society because we have an info-heavy society where we're consuming and digesting. And people who are actually, uh, have creative thoughts are people who actually know how to enter in to times of stillness and boredom. Commendable. This is the idea of like other, it's widely accepted. Is there anything on your phone or things that you watch on the TV that you feel, you would feel weird, maybe not even ashamed, but weird about watching it with your mom (laughs) or with your grandparents or with me, the lead pastor of this church. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. This means we have high standards. And so often, I just think the the problem is, is not that we have too low standards, it's just that we don't have standards. We haven't, again, we haven't really thought about the things that we're thinking about, the things that we're setting before our eyes. And so we have to ask the question, what are your standards? What are your limits? We do this for, we should do this for our kids, right? We're going we're gonna to go out and see, watch them. We've got to find out, like, what's in that movie? What's the content that I'm going to be exposing my child to? We actually need to do that for ourselves, and have excellent standards for, for the kinds of things that we will spend our precious time listening to and watching and consuming. And then the last one is worthy of praise. And it's not only the, the fact that we should, you know, watch things or listen to things that help us to praise God, but this actually means like, that would God praise it? Would God say, well done? So think of that question, like, would you watch it with your parents or with your pastor? It's like, would you watch it with the Holy Spirit? Because guess what? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and he's with you anyways. We've got to begin taking an inventory on the content that we consume. Because while you may not, and I'll grant you this, while you may not be able to, through mental fortitude, choose everything that you think about, you can choose what content you consume. Is that true? So let's start choosing wisely. And then what we've got to do is we've not, it starts with spotting the lies, capturing the thought, then we have to like monitor what we consume, but then we, it's, it's not enough just to like get the bad stuff out, we actually have to replace it with good fruit, okay, with good seeds. Otherwise, the old, same old weeds are just going to grow back. And so this is really where it comes into play of delighting in God's word. We've got to begin delighting in God's word. You want to know what fits every, every, every criteria on that list? The Bible, you knew it was coming, didn't you? The Bible, God's word, God's word. And I just think about the sheer amount of volume of screen time and media and entertainment that we spend compared to the time that we spend in God's word and we wonder why our discipleship isn't stronger, why our faith, why our spiritual formation isn't stronger. 
See, God's word fits everything on this list. I think about Psalm 1 contrasting the, the way of someone who's blessed versus the way of someone who's wicked. And it says this, the person who's blessed by God, it says, his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. There's this ongoing daily conversation, this daily consuming God's word. Now, it's not necessarily this, you know, and they completed their Bible in a year plan. It's not this, you know, it's not this reading the Bible for accomplishment or gold stars. Does that make sense? Meditating is actually really this almost slow reading. Bite by bite, it has this idea of like chewing on God's word. And maybe for you, the problem has actually been being a little too ambitious with, I just got to power through because, you know, I got to feel good about the fact that I read all this scripture. But maybe for you, it actually is slowing down a little bit, memorizing scripture, meditating on scripture, reading less, but reading more consistently. Are you doing things that help you and allow you to delight in God's word? Where are you reading the Bible? And I just, just think about the place that you pick. Find a place in nature that's beautiful. Listen to scripture if you have a difficult time you know, read, with reading. Your eyes are tired. Well, just listen to the scripture. Get a good cup of coffee. Do things that allow you to set the, the mood and the atmosphere. Let me ask you a question. If you only ate food once a week, is that sufficient for your physical health? No, you would end up starving. Similarly, if you only ever consume scripture once a week during a sermon on a Sunday, you're going to be spiritually starving. Well, what about this? Well, what if you only ate the food that you feel like eating? If you only ate junk food, right? You would be nutrient deficient. And I just think about the content. We're crowding out God's truth. We're crowding out, uh, delighting in God's word with content that's honestly, it's like junk food for our souls, it's not necessarily even sinful to watch that movie or listen to that podcast or whatever, but we, we, it's, it's predictable, though, that you wonder why you, you end up demonizing your political opponent, opponent when all you ever listen to is political podcasts that demonize the other side. Is that predictable? It's, it's predictable. Like we want, again, it's not just like, well, I'm watching all this terrible stuff, this dark It's like sometimes it's not even like terrible necessarily, but it's growing a different kind of fruit other than the fruit of the Spirit in your soul. That's what I'm talking about. And being willing to delight in God's Word. George Barna says this. He says, a biblical worldview is thinking like Jesus. It is a way of making our faith practical to every situation we face. A biblical worldview is a way of dealing with the world in such a way that we act like Jesus 24 hours a day because we think like Jesus. Do you see that correlation? Or as I would say, what you plant is what you get. And that's why having a biblical worldview is important. Having a mind that is shaped by Scripture is important. Not just because we want to be able to answer a bunch of Bible questions or look smart or even, especially not to use the Bible as ammunition to win arguments. This is to be intentionally formed and transformed by the renewal our minds, where we can follow Jesus every day because we think like Jesus. And according to a 2017 study by Barna, only 17% of American Christians have what they would classify as a biblical worldview. And I, I, would, I would explain that by saying we're spiritually starving or spiritually deficient, nutrient deficient. What if we began to 
capture the thought, control what we consume, and delight in God's word. And then the last step is, is it's not enough to just stay in here, to stay in here. We actually have to live the truth. To live the truth. To allow what God, the seeds that God is sowing into our minds and into our hearts to actually take root in our bodies and change our actions. Paul concludes the passage we looked at by saying, practice these things. That's a, that's a live it out type word. And he says this, the God of peace will be with you. Do you see the switch there? He says, if we pray, the peace of God will be with us. But the moment we begin to live these things out, the God of peace will be with us. His whole, this is what it means to walk by the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit to be present with us every day of our lives is we actually have to be willing to follow him, to walk in the footsteps of Christ. John Mark Homer says this about the lies that we believe. He says, the problem isn't so much that we tell lies, but that we live them. We let them into our bodies and they sabotage our peace. And I would just add to that, the same is true of truth. See, the goal is not necessarily to just encounter truth or even know truth. It's actually to live truth, to allow the truth of God's word to go into our bodies and influence the way that we live. Another way to say it is that we don't read scripture for information. We read scripture for transformation. And there's a beautiful promise from Jesus in John 8, 31 and 32. He says this, if you abide in my word. Everyone say if. That's a telltale sign of a conditional promise. Does that make sense? That this isn't some blanket promise. We have a part to play. What's our part to play? Abide in his word. This is why we wonder, why, why am I not seeing more progress in my spiritual formation, in my spiritual growth? Are you abiding? Are you living in God's word? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There is truth available in Jesus Christ. There is freedom available in that truth. This morning, would you allow Christ Jesus to wash his truth over you and to give you freedom from darkness, freedom from sin, freedom from destructive thoughts, freedom from the sin that so easily entangles us and to throw off whatever chains have been holding you back. Remember that the story that Jesus told of the sower and the seeds in Matthew 13? He said there's this, this farmer who's going out, he's planting seeds, and it falls on all these different kinds of soil. But the soil that takes root, it's the good soil, he says that kind of seed, and he explains, Jesus explains, the, the seed is the word of God. The person who actually receives that word into their life, it's going to grow this beautiful fruit, a harvest that produces 30, 60, or 100 fold. There is an incredible amount of fruit and freedom available in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for that freedom over our church. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would transform us by the renewal of our minds. Convict us by your word and by your truth if there are ways that you, you want to pull the weeds, you want to pull the bad fruit out of our lives. And would you wash us by your grace, your mercy, and your truth? Lord, I pray for a hunger and a thirst for righteousness in our church. I pray that we wouldn't read scripture more this week out of duty or obligation, but we would read it out of a craving to be known by you. 
and to know you and to be in your presence. God, I pray that you would do the work of transformation that only you can do. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.